good day uh, if you're a father, and it is uh, truly a special day to be here, and I want to say thanks to Pastor Chad for this invitation, and so good to be back at LifeGate and to see uh, faces that we met last time, but uh, get to meet some new faces as well. I'm a full-time evangelist. My wife and I live in Pennsylvania, but I lived here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for about 28 years and recently moved to Pennsylvania because that's where my wife's from. And I found out that they have all four seasons up there. So I'm really excited because I don't miss this heat. I'm sorry. It is brutal coming back during the summertime. But it is such a privilege. One thing that I'm, you know, there's definite things I've given up to live in Pennsylvania. And two very big things, sweet tea and Tex-Mex. I mean, they don't have that in Pennsylvania. So y'all pray for me. Um. I don't know, are, is anybody in here that's handed out our cards, our prayer cards in the other services? Do we have any left? I didn't know if we had any uh, left, but if we have any left, there should be some. God has asked us to start uh, passing out prayer cards at the, uh, to the places that we go and to get people to pray for us. I've never done that in 21 years as an evangelist. God asked me to do that this year. Let me explain why. Uh, I've uh, had the privilege to travel to 55 countries, 45 states, uh, flown 3 million miles over these 21 years. And we get invitations sometimes to go to places that are not so safe. Like earlier this year, I got an invitation to come to Egypt. I've never been to Egypt, but uh, got an invitation to come and do a national conference for the Pentecostal Christian Church in Egypt, which is so cool that in such a a uh, critical part of the world that there is a, a church, a Christian church that is thriving. This is so crazy. I didn't know this. Um, whenever you become a Christian in Egypt, you actually get a tattoo of a cross right here on the inside of your wrist where Jesus's scars would be. So and literally they take another level in a, in a Muslim country where they could uh, be kicked out of their family, they could lose their job, or even worse things, they mark themselves for the kingdom of God. And so when they asked me to come, I said, yeah, I would love to come. And one week later, it was Passover weekend, and I'm sure you remember what happened that weekend in Egypt. ISIS has declared on their website, the terrorist organization, that their favorite target is Christians. And they targeted two Christian churches on Passover weekend. They sent two suicide bombers into packed out Christian churches and blew themselves up. Forty-eight people were killed, many injured and maimed, just for coming to a service just like this. And then just a few weeks ago, Four SUVs filled with terrorists from ISIS surrounded a Christian caravan. And these guys jumped out of the SUVs and just started using these machine guns to kill 28 more Christians just because of them giving their lives to follow Jesus Christ. They are being killed in the country of Egypt. And I'm going there. And my wife was really excited. She even thought about coming with me. That was before all of this stuff. So now do you understand why we need you to pray? It is very serious where we're going to go, especially as an American. uh, 
they have access to the web. They have access. They can see, you know, uh, we don't hide what we do. And literally, there'll be a target. And so we really need people that will take our prayer cards and pray for us. We are a faith-based ministry. We completely count on people like you and churches to help us go and do these things around the world. Remember me talking about soccer salvation camps? Well, this year we're going to do our 41st one, and each one costs $20,000. So since 1999, we've done 40 of these around the world. We're going to do our next one in Talagante, Chile, which is a city in Chile that is has a strong witchcraft uh, influence they're in this city, and they need a revival. I've already went and visited there. I went, met with the pastor and his wife and the missionary. We picked out the soccer stadium that we're going to use. That city needs revival, and Egypt needs revival. And so we determined that we will go wherever God asks us to go. So would you please take those prayer cards on your way out today and, and put it to where somebody you can be reminded to pray for us and, and to pray for our ministry. Check our website out. It's on the, the prayer card. Uh, find us on Facebook as well. We love to get testimonies about what God has done in people's lives when we are asked to come in and minister. This is a series that you're in about voices. And when Pastor Chad and I uh, set this up, I mean, many, many months ago, we didn't realize how it was going to all fall down on Father's Day and uh, and specifically what series that they would be in. But this was uh, this was set up by God. How many knows that we need different voices in our lives as Christians? In other words, God gave us a five-fold ministry gifting to the body of Christ. Because what happens is, I'm going to give you an illustration of why God uses different voices. This happened about three Mondays ago. Just like tomorrow, I'll get on an airplane, I'll fly back to Pennsylvania, and I always have to connect through Chicago or D.C. More times than not, I'm in Chicago O'Hare Airport connecting to my flight in Pennsylvania. A few weeks ago, I was waiting on my next flight. And I got a phone call from a number that I didn't know, which happens quite often. And it was a lady that happened to be in a church service that I spoke at a few weeks before. And she called me. I don't know who she is. I don't know her story. She called me. She tracked down my cell phone number, called me because she needed to ask, did I know that her and her family was sitting in that service? Did I know them? And did the pastor tell me their story? I'm like, I don't, I don't know who you are. I, no, I didn't know you were there, and no, nobody told me your story. The reason she called me is because she was blown away. Because the message that God used me to speak was so specific right where they were sitting. This will blow your mind. I want to encourage everyone that gets involved in ministry. This, this lady starts telling me, she said, I'm, I don't attend that church. I was a visitor. The reason why we came back is the week or two weeks before they had visited that church and the, her younger children were in the children's ministry and they did one song that her young children liked so much that they begged their mom to take them back to that church. So if you ever think 
that what you do and what you serve in is not important. Let me tell you, even one song in a children's ministry is having an impact on reaching and impacting this family and many other families. They came back. She has an older daughter. She began to tell me why she was freaking out about the message that I had spoken and how she just thought I had to know her story and that they were there. And the pastor told me because last year, her older daughter, I think she's 19 or 20, was so depressed that she was determined, I'm going to commit suicide. So she called up the police. She wanted the policeman to respond to the house, and she waited until the two officers got there. Then she pulled out a pistol stuck it to her forehead, and pulled the trigger. Obviously, it went off. She should have died at that moment. But God is a supernatural God. One officer, this was all documented on all the local TV stations and the newspapers in that area. She said, you can look it up, and it's very documented. Because the irony of this moment, I I don't know whose cell phone was turned on, but one of the people involved had a cell phone, and it was a video, but it was stuck in a pocket. So it wasn't recording any video, but it was recording all the audio. And what happens is one of the policemen had determined that she had a pulse, so he was not giving up. He started working on this girl, and he was like, no way am I going to give up. The call for paramedics, and they're on their way, but the other officer says, hey, I've been on the battlefield. I've seen men with this kind of injury. They do not get up. They do not live. He was saying, just don't. Just stop. You don't, what are you doing? This, it's not going to work. She just shot herself in the brain, and the other officer says, no, I got a pulse, and I'm not giving up, and you know what? Just a few weeks ago, God used this evangelist to confirm to a family that has been going through one of the most challenging times of their life, guess who was sitting next to that mom? Was that young lady that commit, tried to commit suicide, but God says, I am a God that I'm not willing that any should perish. And you know what? She is not a vegetable. She is not uh, you know, paralyzed. She is able to talk and communicate and have a life because God is the God that gets involved in our situations. And God used, see, sometimes as, as pastors, they get up and they share with what God has spoken to them about to the body of Christ. But sometimes what we do is we begin to think that because pastor knows my story and what I'm going through, that that's why he's saying the things that he's saying in his message. But then God uses a different voice that says the exact same thing, but because I don't know your story, you have to recognize that it's God. That's why different voices are so important. I want you to quickly stand for the reading of God's word. If you would, please stand with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 40 and 41. Luke chapter 8, verse 40 Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, 
to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Father, may you speak to everyone in this room right now for your glory. God, may you use this voice, this voice that is not representing a man right now, but representing our God and our King and our Creator. I pray that this would be a life-changing moment. I pray that this would be, Lord, one of those supernatural moments in our lives. God, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I Have you ever had to call 911? Have you ever been in that situation? Uh, can I just give you a little wisdom? <laughs> 911 is an American thing. So if you ever find yourself overseas, like my wife and I were in Istanbul, Turkey, and I had a grand mal seizure for the very first time in my life, and I stopped breathing, and she thought I died. She calls the front desk of the hotel and says, you need to call 911. And they were like, 911, what's that? You know. Uh, but in other words, she thought literally I died in front of her because I collapsed, I turned blue, I stopped breathing. But the reality is, it was it was a moment that required an emergency response. Just like this father in this story, it doesn't get any more critical than when you realize that your little 12-year-old daughter is dying, literally down to her last moments. She didn't have even hours. She had minutes. And can I tell you, as fathers and mothers today, may you understand in a world that gets crazier and crazier, in a world that is filled with chaos and all these circumstances that we face, May we always understand that God still makes house calls, that he responds to our emergency situations. So you can imagine this dad running up to Jesus that people did all the time, and he's like, Jesus, you got to come to my house. Because my little girl is dying, and I don't need you to wait till this evening. I don't need you to wait till next week or next month. I need you to come right now. And something was stirred in the heart of Jesus. And so he literally started going to this house to pray for this little girl. If there's ever been a moment in my life that I could identify with a specific story in the Bible, it would be this story. It was... The first week of December of 1998. And our daughter Taylor was just a baby. And I put her in the high chair for to feed her lunch. And something happened. I didn't know right away what it was, but I knew something was wrong. And we took her to the hospital. And they ran these tests. And then the pediatrician's nurse calls us on a Thursday afternoon and she says, the doctor wants to see you after her last patient today at 5 o'clock. Can you come in? And we said yes. We would go in and we would sit down in front of a pediatrician, a lady pediatrician that's 
been a pediatrician here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for 20 years. And she starts by saying, I'm very sorry. In 20 years of taking care of children, I've never even had one case. But your daughter has a rare and curable disease. She has so many tumors on her brain, in her heart. They will continue to take over her body, and there is nothing we can do. So what I need you to realize is that when you walk out of here today, you go home and you enjoy every moment you have with her because there's nothing we can do and there's nothing that we can tell you. She may live, she may die, she may be in a wheelchair, she may never talk, she may never recognize that you're her dad. And if there's ever been a moment that I called God's 911 number and said, God, I need you to make a house call. It was at that moment. I walked out into the parking lot and I'm holding Taylor in my arms and the tears are streaming down my face. And I realized and recognized at that moment that I'm so thankful for a father and a mother that raised me to know that there is a word of God and that there is a God that hears our prayers. And let me tell you, dads, the greatest legacy that you will ever have, it won't be how big of a house that you provided for your children or how many cars or how many trips or whatever you can do. It will be the fact that your children know that my dad knows how to pray. The greatest influence that you can have. This this is what this father was doing. He was praying. He was saying, Jesus, come to my house. You see, we live in a society and in a situation now that the greatest thing that we can take out of this moment is to be challenged as men, as fathers, men of God, that would recognize that it is a time to bring Jesus into our houses instead of ushering Jesus out of our houses. They wanted to find out if she was having seizures. And the way that they do that is they do an EEG, and I'm sure some of you have had that. It's not a big test to anybody, really, except for babies. I've had the EEG. Put you in a dark room. They attach the electrode, the wires all to your head, and then they start flashing lights trying to cause seizures and do the electrode activity of your brain. But the, the problem with this situation is, My daughter was a baby, and the technician said she's going to have to lay still for this test, and and he found out very quickly she was not going to be able to lay still. So he said, I'm sorry to do this to you guys, but we're going to have to strap your daughter down to a papoose board. And I'm sure there's some moms and dads in this room that knows what a papoose board is, but for those that might not, understand or know what I'm talking about. It's basically like a straight jacket attached to a flat board to hold children and babies down for medical things and literally was one of the most difficult things I've ever walked through as a dad is that moment because the technician looked at me and he says, "Uh, y'all can stay if you want. Oh, it would have been an easy thing to walk out of that room and not go through what I would see my daughter go through. But that's not what dads do. That's not what moms do. 
We don't walk away when we don't want to look at the pain that our children are going through. We don't walk away when it gets difficult. No, the reality is, is we stay. And the greatest challenge that I can say to every father in this room is our children, they don't need a dad that makes a million dollars. They don't need a dad that has two and three jobs to pay for more and bigger things. They need a dad that will stay. They need a dad that will pray. They need a dad that will lead them in the word of God. And the great thing that you can do is understand we will not be perfect dads. We will not always have the right answers, but there is one thing that they can know as our children, as we are their dads, is that no matter what they're going through and what they're going to face, we will go to God together and we will see God do something so supernatural. I will never forget that test because Taylor was so little and such a baby. She, her little hands could only hold on to one of my fingers. I stood there that entire test. She was completely strapped down where she could not move. And she began to send me and everybody else a message. I don't like this. I'm scared. She's crying. She made growling noises I had never heard her made before then or after. Tears. Streaming down her face. She is communicating with everything that she has. And I'm her dad. And I'm standing there. And I'm watching her so full of fear and pain and hurt. And yet I did nothing. You see, you have to understand something about this dad. People always knew if all I got was one chance in life is to have one child is I wanted a little girl. Because I always dreamed of having a daddy's little girl. That day I would be able to be the father of the bride and walk her down the aisle. See all the great things that they would. And so when we found out that we were going to have a daughter, I was so excited. And so the day she was born, I started something literally that day in the hospital. And for weeks and months afterwards, I would say to her, I said, Taylor, this is your daddy. And if you say dada as your first word, I'll take care of you. If you don't, you're on your own, chick. Guess what? There is a God because her first word was dada. I, I, I told her, I said, Taylor, baby, you learn, you learn that one word. And if you're scared, if you're hurting, if you fell, you cry out, Dad, Dad, and I will come running. I will be there. I will pick you up, and I will hold you, and I will tell you it's going to be okay. So that day she was strapped down and she had cried and she would show me through her tears and she struggled and yet I did nothing to stop it. And so she did the only thing that she knew. And I stood there as a father and I began to think, what a horrible thing. What if my daughter has began to think that I don't love her, that I don't hear her, that I, that I don't care what she's going through because she's told me and God got involved in the conversation. He says, he says, Ron, it's just like in life. 
It's like with you and my children. There are times in lives that we have to go through tests. See, I knew as the dad that we needed this test. It was for the good. It was painful. It was scary. But we needed it. She couldn't understand that because she was in the middle of a crazy storm. But I was the dad standing there. And she was telling me, get me out of here. And I didn't. And he says, God says, you know how many times people, they do that with me. They're going through the hardest time of their life. And they're crying and they're praying and yet nothing happens. But he said, Ron, tell my people that just like you, a dad would never walk out of the room when his child needs him the most. Just like you, I've never let go of your hand. I know you're hurting. I know you don't know what you're going to do. I know that the finances are tough. I know that the job market is not there for what you are called to do. I know there's medical challenges and physical challenges and financial challenges. But can I tell you? That God our Father is a Father just like the fathers in this room and like this Father. I will not walk away from the bed of my child while they're going through the hardest time. And neither has God walked away. And I'll never forget the moment that she literally just literally had nothing else. She had nothing else. She had no more emotion. She had no more tears. She had no more struggle. She just kind of literally collapsed and just went limp. And then a few minutes later, the test was over. The technician says, okay, it's over. You can get her out. And I couldn't unstrap her quick enough. And I held her in my arms and we walked out of the hospital that day. And let me tell you, in the same way, in the same heart of God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, in this story, this Father was saying, I need you to come right now because my little girl needs a miracle. And so they get to the house where this little girl was fighting for her life, and they come back with the words that no father, no mother ever want to hear. Too late. She's dead. The very reason Jesus was coming to the house. And everybody told the dad, just tell Jesus to go. Because it's too late. But Jesus is the one that gets to say when it's over. And he walked into that room and he said, which means, I say to you, little girl, get up. You know what? The girl was raised from the dead. Do you know what's going to happen next month? July 17th, my daughter is going to turn 20 years old. The only reason that on this Father's Day, 
this father gets to be with his daughter. It's because Jesus makes house calls. And what he desires to do in your life is to let you know, no matter how bad it is, no matter how isolated and afraid and fearful that it feels, God's going to walk into the middle of your situation and he's going to restore what's been taken. He's going to revive what has been decimated by the enemy. God wants to restore your marriage. He wants to restore your finances. He wants to restore your health. He wants to give you a spirit of youth inside of you. And God is today saying to you that we as the fathers of a generation that have never been more challenged in their faith that we be the fathers that say, you know what? As for my house, we're going to be a house that serves God. We're going to be a house that knows how to pray. And when all life turns upside down and it gets really crazy, we're going to have dads that know how to pray. You see, I'll I'll never forget the moment that Taylor was having so many seizures that they were going to measure her head for a helmet. And she was going to have to wear a helmet all day long, no matter where she was. And that was the tipping point for this dad. I was speaking in Mississippi And I just told the people, when we go home from this trip, then we have to take her to the doctors because she was having all these seizures, at least seven a day, up to 11. And she was falling. If we couldn't get to her in time, if we didn't notice the seizure was going to come on, she would fall, hit her head. She could hit her on the coffee table, on the concrete, whatever. She has to have a helmet now all the time that she's awake throughout the day. And I was like, God, that's my tipping point. And I share on a Sunday morning, we're like 500 people there. And out of this incredible church down on the coast of Mississippi, God had a, a homeless man that was sitting on the back row walk down to this dad. And that homeless man looked at me and he says, can I pray for your daughter? At that moment... I was not an evangelist. I was a dad. And inside, I had to fight the pride because everything inside of me was, how dare you? You want to pray for my daughter? You don't think the prayers and the tears that I prayed? If I can't pray healing, then who are you? That was my flesh. But the dad in me said, God, you use anybody and everybody. And if this homeless man has the faith to pray for my daughter, then I'm going to trust you, God. And can I tell you, God used that man. I don't know if he was an angel. I don't know. He was divinely used by God because he prayed for my daughter that day. And literally, God healed her of the seizures. She took over 56,000 pills, 14 pills a day to fight the seizures. But let me tell you, when we got home, she didn't have to have a helmet. In fact, for the next two years, the doctors weaned her off all medicine. And today, she's off all medicine. And even though the tumors in the brain that caused the seizures are still there, God says, I'm going to stop the seizures. I'm going to do a creative miracle in Taylor. And let me tell you, God will do the same for you. Come on, everybody, stand with me if you would, please. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for these incredible men that have come on Father's Day to the house of God. Thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity and privilege to challenge them. And God, there are no perfect dads. There are no dads that have always done the right thing and have always been there the way we need to be. But, God, you are challenging a generation of fathers and men to be men of God, to be men of integrity, to be men and fathers and husbands that will stay and pray. So, God, I don't know the miracles that are needed in this room right now, but you are a supernatural God and you make house calls. And in the same way you walked into this little girl, that her dad was so desperate to come find you. You found a way, even though it looked like in the flesh and the physical, that you were too late. You're not too late. And there's somebody standing here in this service right now. And God's telling you right now, this is your gift for the day. This is your blessing. This is your word. That even though every part of the situation looks like it's too late, maybe the bankruptcy has already been filed. Maybe the divorce decree has already been signed. Maybe you already got the pink slip in the mail. But God is here today to do a miracle in your life. God is here today to do the impossible. God is here today to walk into the middle of your house, your home, in your life, in your marriage, in your children, and to touch and turn a situation around for his glory. God, we thank you. I prayed this morning about what God wanted me to do about the response time, and this is what he's had me do for each service. I feel the same in here. I want to ask all fathers in this room, would you come down here and stand with, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. Would you come, dads? Come on, fathers. It's not easy. It's not easy in a society that glorifies everything that's immoral and tells us that if we are men of integrity and we are men of morals and that we're not true men. Please don't walk out of here and even for one moment look up at this dad and think that I've done always the right thing because I haven't, haven't always had the right thing, haven't always had the right attitude. If there's no other legacy that I can leave for my daughter, the greatest legacy that you and I can have with our children and our wives we believe in this and we know how to invite Jesus to our house through the power of prayer. You don't have to pray big, eloquent prayers. But learning how to become men. That will have the impact in their family's life. 
not based upon their job or what they do or what they can do or what they can provide, but rather the impact that the foundation of God's word and prayer has. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these men. God, I thank you for men that are here on Father's Day. God, these men are men that the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy knows that he can come against another generation of fathers and husbands. That he will decimate the greatest nation in all the world. For too many generations, we've had fathers that checked out. Too many times... We've been seduced by the world and the morality of the world. But today, God, you're calling a generation of dads. You're calling a generation of fathers and husbands that we will learn to stay and we will learn to pray. And we will have an impact in our children's lives because there is one thing that they will know. That we will not be dads that curse. We will not be dads of anger. We will not be dads of reaction, but we will be dads of prayer. Praying those simple prayers, Lord, when our our child scrapes their knee or their child comes home and says, Dad, they're making fun of me. Or, or Dad, I'm thinking about suicide and I want you to know. Would you pray for me, Dad? So, God, I pray right now for a supernatural move of your spirit in these lives. That these lives right here will represent families that are being changed by men that are learning to stay and pray. That are learning how to turn to you and not turn to the things of the world. And I pray that there be some dad right here that is struggling. He's struggling. He's thinking about leaving. He's thinking about walking out. He's thinking about turning to the immorality of the world. I pray, God, that you would wrap your loving arms around him and he would feel strength. He would be a mighty warrior realizing that he is the warrior for his family. And the way we do battle is through the power of prayer.